listening to The Collective Sounds, a podcast series of intimate and imaginary storytelling. In this episode, we explore kissing. Locking lips for the first time with a person. Did you know them or was it a stranger? Why do we kiss? How did it go and how did it make you feel? I'm Malin, the producer of the show. Use the from sapsplat.com. Stay with me. My first kiss was at a party. I remember his cologne, his soft skin and shaved hair that my hands were feeling. He was gentle, but there were still teeth. My hands went behind the ears, down the neck and ended around his waist. Honestly, I wasn't sure what I was doing, but I remember that I could no longer hear the music in the background and that it felt like we were the only ones in the room, although we were not. I was worried that my lost tongue would reveal that it was my first time. And I wonder if he knew. Their pre-kissing days were exhausting if I'm honest with you. The ongoing suggestions to play spin the bottle were putting me through a relentless amount of suffering and embarrassment because I hadn't had my first kiss yet. And I didn't want anyone to know that. So why do we kiss? And why do we like having our lips touching someone else's? To sort this mystery out, I spoke to evolutionary biologist Professor Robert Brooks. Besides having released a new book called Artificial Intimacy, he studied what makes sex and reproduction complicated in some animals and humans. He's also curious in what has an effect on us, like why are sex and romance so interesting to us and why those emotions are so strong? Why do we feel a certain way about art or music? and kissing. Sure, a kiss can be bad, but it can also be good. But the whys is what we're here to find out. Why does it feel good to kiss someone on the lips? And if we don't like it, is there actually more to it? You know, the, the obvious answer to, to why we kiss is that it feels good. Uh, but that's not an explanation for an evolutionary biologist. It might be psychologically fine, but uh, from an evolutionary point of view, we always ask, why does it feel good? Why did it evolve? Um, and what it evolved to do, now not every, not every society kisses, not everybody likes kissing equally. However, we do like to get close to people. And if we're romantically interested in them, we need to get close to them in order to sort of check them out. We can look at somebody. He identifies two reasons, smell and taste, to be the act of kissing. And in order to do both, we need to be close to someone. Although we don't know much about smell besides someone rocking a great perfume. However, there is evidence pointing to the genes in our immune system called Major Histocompatibility Complex. Major Histocompatibility Complex. Also MCH. Which means that the molecules circulating in your circulatory system act like weapons and will recognize germs and fight them off. Now, genes are built up by DNA and genes makes molecules. So if you meet someone with different combinations of genes, 
they will provide your offspring with a greater variety of molecules slash weapons. So what Brooks means when he says that there isn't much we know about the smell component is that there are arguments that propose that we can smell these molecules to prevent inbreeding and produce a better combination of weapons for our offspring. So let's say that you do not like the kiss. Is there more to it than just that? I think that I think that the not liking the kiss, you have to go why, and I think that it's probably, um, you know, got a lot to do with the fact that when you got really close, you found that you weren't quite as compatible in those very idiosyncratic kind of ineffable ways, um, and we can't always put a finger on it. Sometimes we can, you know, gee, they smelt a lot of garlic, or um, you know, they were very rough when I like tenderness or they were very you know tentative or something like that all of those what you it's fair to say that we've all had that one meal that we perhaps should not have had before a kiss and now we know that we can't blame the molecules but our actions so the act of kissing is a form of being close to someone to suss them out and building trust and maybe produce some offspring that is also seen in other cultures even if they're not kissing cultures but if we think back at our first kiss, is it driven by actually being close to someone or driven by pressure? Um, so you mentioned that there are non-kissing cultures and that instead of mm -hmm. kissing, you have other ways of building trust and being close to someone. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people mentioned, you know, the pressure of having your first kiss. Mm. So mm. it wasn't necessarily, you know, based on trust. Do you think that sort of exists? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a complicated thing, you know. It's it can be people can overthink it and can spend so much time obsessing about it. And, oh my God, everyone else was sixteen and I'm seventeen now, and what do I do? You know, that kind of thing. And so it's going to be awkward in that regard, just like the first time, you know, having sex or the first time doing all you know all sorts of other non-sexual types of things. Um, the, he says that, yes, you can realistically expect to be terrified and not sure if there is trust there and that the trust is more a part of an assessment process that we use and learn to get better at using with time. In this next part, we hear from three women about their first kissing experience and how they came about. Was there trust? Were they terrified? Or did they like it? The first person we hear from is Emilia Rue, a 22-year-old journalist student and my former and fellow radio producer. She starts off by joking about her being single now to be a result from her first kiss experience. I think I was 16 going on 17. Um, it was the night of a wild high school party. You know how they are, like there was lots of underage drinking going on. It was at my friend's house. Everything was trashed. Um, but it was like, you know, those classic high school parties that everyone always has a great time at. Um, and I had been talking to this boy that like I really liked who coincidentally was my neighbor. And his mother was also my teacher at school. So. 
The boy was a good friend of hers and their liking of one another was mutual. You know, he liked her and she liked him kind of thing. She says that her friends and his friends knew about this and that this night at the party, it had to happen. So we kind of got like backed into this outdoor area. It was like, it was very private. Um, and we were like to each other, like, hey, we, we just have to like do it. Let's just like get it over and done with. Um, and yeah, I think we both had like a few drinks, but we weren't drunk. Um, and we both were kind of just like, one, two, three, go, let's do it. There's no name for what happened. Like there's no name for it. It was like not a peck but not a makeout. It was like somewhere in between and it was so bad. Like, <laughs> I'm sure there's probably worse, but like, it was just, there was a lot of teeth. After the kiss, they both agreed that it was just bad. They eventually started dating and this would be something that they both would look back at and just laugh at together. Coming back into the party, their friends were happy and cheering on them for having had their first kiss. But the day after at school, she found out something that she wasn't expecting. I sat next down to one of my friends who was also really good friends with the guy that I had kissed. And he was like, so how was the kiss? And I was like, I'm not going to tell you, like, it's private. And then he was like, well, he said that your lips were really dry. And I was like, he did not. And I was really, <laughs> it was so not liking because he was really lovely. Like, I think all boys are kind of shit when they're with their friends. Mm. And I think it was a case of, yeah, they just wanted feedback. And he was like, man, her lips are dry. So obviously from then on, I bought like 10 lip balms. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but I was really pissed um, and a little bit self-conscious after that. The next person I talked to is Richira Nasir. She's 22 years old as well, a master's student and another radio producer I have worked with. Her kiss is somewhat different though, and not in a way of redefining kissing, but it's her age, when she did have her first kiss, that makes this story different. I used to think a lot about my first kiss a lot because I used to take a lot of pride in like how young I was because I was like, I was so young, look how early I got my first kiss. But then the more I would like think about it, I was like, wait, it actually wasn't that nice because so... The boy was a family friend and she said that it was her initiative and she believes it happened and kept happening because of the lack of exposure to intimacy while young. The kissing would occur during playdates and her and the boy would make up rules to lure the other kids away so that they could kiss. We weren't even teenagers. We were younger than that. We were probably like six or seven, like very, very young, like stupid young. And um, yeah, I think we were just like, I don't know. I feel like something happens when you're like not around affection that it makes you more interested in it. And oftentimes it comes out in like quite pervy ways, I feel like. So I remember like wanting to kiss him, but it wasn't like, it wasn't just like a peck. It was like full on like tongue makeout. She maintains the idea that it was because of her, but when she didn't want to continue and felt uncomfortable, she quit. And so did the play dates, but she remembers feeling guilty about it. He, he got mad. He threw, he like stomped his feet, went to the living room and was just quietly sitting there. And you know, when kids are angry and they're alone and they end up falling asleep, like that's what he did. He just fell asleep out of anger. I asked her about the pressures of having the first kiss, but since she was really young when she had it and driven by curiosity rather than pressure, 
she didn't really feel it by the time that she was in her teens. I, I think because that by that point I was a teenager, I was out of Bangladesh, and that around that time was when you would feel like, oh, like I should be having my first kiss, I should be having my boyfriend, a uh, boyfriend now, I should be having going out on dates now. So that's when I would feel the sense of pride, like, okay, I don't have a boyfriend now, but at least I had my kiss way before these people did. The last person I interview is my friend Anne Deegan, OEM, Order of Australia. She's 75 years old and her first kiss wasn't something she looks back at fondly. Instead of talking much about her experience, we get into related and much needed conversation. Anne lives with a disability, spina bifida, a condition that affects the spine, most often at birth, and can result in a limited ability to move around or walk. Anne is one of the oldest of survivors in Australia. While we talk about the pressures, she also shares with me her perspective and what feelings she was going through at a time where the expectations on others weren't the same for her. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I can remember that vividly, you know, when I was, say, from about 15 onwards, even into my 20s, that all my friends were, you know, having relationships and that. And I wasn't, and you, you, because you're disabled, you're not being asked out on dates. Young guys like that don't really, they're not looking for a disabled person. Um, so you do feel left out and you also feel not sexual, like never felt like you didn't feel feminine because that wasn't happening. She describes feeling asexual and not feminine and that it's really common among disabled people to feel like that. She says that she sees it a lot among young disabled people as a result of acting like they're feeling like they're being treated or viewed by others around them. They were and are living in a different reality, shaped by misconceptions and fueled by the acceptance of limitations of love. I asked her how we could start changing this reality and include rather than exclude. Well, you know, just be aware of it and make the person feel feminine, make them feel, um, be a friend to them and share your femininity with them. Um, yeah. Share friendship, really, but, you know, make them feel feminine. You can do that, you know. Like. And then I asked her what she would say to someone listening to this that is living with a disability that might recognise themselves in what she is describing. To be aware uh, that they are a sexual being and and act like it, you know. And don't be, because you're not, you haven't got a relationship with that, doesn't mean that you're, you're not a sexual human being, that you're not a feminine or guys too, you know. The intentions of this episode was to feel happiness, but along the way I realized that while kissing itself can be filled of happiness and memories can too, 
the first kiss is too individual to assess generally. So as we've learned the science behind kissing and the several factors that play into our first kiss, the conversation about who is included and not included in this area of topic is of much more need for discussion. A big thanks to Professor Robert Brooks, Emilia Rue, Richard Nasir, and Anne Deegan, who was the guests of this episode. Be kind to one another and thanks for listening to The Collective Sounds. See ya!